as you heard him, James Combo. I'm a Kenyan, a minister of the gospel within the Anglican Church of Kenya, where I have served as a minister for the last 20 or so years. But in addition to my work at the church, I am also a professor at uh, a leading Christian university in Africa, that is Daystar University. God took me to Daystar University in 1995. And from that point, I have served in various capacities, mainly the leadership level, ranging from head of department to the vice chancellorship, where I retired about three, four months ago. Upon my retirement, the university gave me opportunity to look for a possibility of doing a sabbatical and uh, Calvin University, through its uh, Nego Institute, was uh, very gracious enough to offer me a place at the Prophet's Chamber, where I will continue to be until the middle of April. I'm doing two things at the moment, uh, which are very key to me. The first one is uh, completing of uh, a manuscript, which hopefully uh, gets published at some point in the, in the year, that will basically be looking at the question of psychology, I mean, of uh, eschatology, and particularly how that feels for the African Christian situation. But as I walk through that, I'm also very heavily involved in thinking through my next path in ministry. Having served in administration, I feel it is my call to now move away from administration to the area of training, ministerial and theological formation for the churches, and particularly the new forms of churches in Africa. I'll be doing that, hopefully, from uh, the beginning of the month of June, and hopefully that becomes my home ministry once I'm back. I will be asking for your prayers and uh, for uh, a walk with me, even as I start that kind of ministry, which is extremely key in the African context. The question of leadership, and particularly Christian leadership, has always been a core matter, and I take it very seriously. Received greetings from my family. Just before I came here, I had a, a long chat with my wife and my children. They sent their greetings. As you heard, I'm married to Pamela, and we have three uh, grown children. We thank God for each one of them and for what God is doing with them in their various places. I was also able to talk to my 
my pastor, my boss at uh, the All Saints Cathedral, and uh, he also sent his greetings this morning. As you can see, my intention this morning is to bring to us the word around obedience. And I'm stating that obedience is key to God's love. God so loved the world. It's a text that all of us said right at Sunday school time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The book of John will speak very eloquently and heavily around this overall theme, love. But Deuteronomy opens us up to another side of things. The theology and the focus of the book of Deuteronomy is God's action. God is depicted as a God of action doing several things for and with his people. But this God of action is also a very tough God. He lays conditions and he expects us to obey. The text of the Old Testament that came to us this morning. Moses is depicted in that text as being in serious thought, deep thought. Moses has just given what the theologians call three addresses. The first address, Deuteronomy 1, runs all the way to Deuteronomy 4 and verse 43. He lays the foundation for what he's about to do with the people of God. The second address is chapters 4, and this will run all the way to chapter 28 and verse 68. And then we meet his third address. And the text that we have read and the text that I will be sharing from is part of this third address. And actually the very last bit of it. And this third address, text from chapters 29 goes all the way to chapter 30 and verse 20.
one single thing that Moses appears to be saying. He has only one thing. And he thinks that he has to say today that it is not something for tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. It is a business to be sorted today. You see, friends, there's always the, the thing about procrastination. The thing about, well, I could do it today, but maybe tomorrow could wait. It's all right, but we can do it next year. It's all right, but we can do it a year after the next. This is so urgent. Moses has to deliver it today. You see, these people are settled on the plains of Moab, opposite Jericho, and they're just on the threshold of entering the promised land. Somehow, an emergency arises. The events in Leviticus and uh, Numbers as they are progressively revealed. Those events in Numbers, Leviticus, and Exodus, those events can wait. But this must be said within these three addresses on a day that Moses calls today. A few days ago, a friend of mine visited me and with him was this book, a very interesting book called Tuesdays with Mori. Tuesdays with Mori. Mori is a uh, an old professor who unfortunately becomes very much unwell and is, is given a few days to leave. He's told he will continue to deteriorate regardless of the medical treatment that he will be given, and of course he's given one of the best medical attentions. But that deterioration will, will continue. Mori in this book is depicted as a, a man who had a lot of choices to make. And one of the choices that he had was a choice to retire from his service at the university. 
and just sleep and rest home as he waits for the day ahead. But Mori decides that he's not going to sit there and do nothing. That although he is very sure with what the medics had predicted, that he was going to be strong and to continue to do what he needs to do with his students. You see, friends, like Mori, Moses appears to be moving very close to the last bit of his life. He doesn't give up. He doesn't tell God, you know, God, this is a message for somebody who is coming after me. I don't want to open a very heavy chapter as I exit the scene. He refuses to do that. And he takes on a major project. And that is the book of Deuteronomy. Death could have derailed him. The fear of death could have derailed him, could have caused him to kind of say, well, why shouldn't I just rest here, sleep here, and my successor, Joshua, can then take on this uh, all-important role? Like Mori, in the book, Tuesdays with Mori, Moses stays on and carries what would be a huge thing. He does not risk his legacy. He stays on and he does a major one. There are four observable things about the, the passage of the Old Testament that is before us this morning. The first one is that the command to obey is simple. And Moses argues within this, the text that the command is not something that is beyond the capacity of those to whom the command is given. It is not something that they are unable in terms of capacity to reach. It is simple. Number two, it is imminent. In other words, it is within reach. It is as near as his mouth. It is not, as the scripture says, in the distant heavens. 
with no one to bring it down. It is imminent. It's right there. It is part of their recent history. Just in case they would be forgetting this is not an entirely new thing. The first set of commands had been given at Mount Horeb to their grandfathers. They had heard this story. There's nothing entirely new about it. It's part of their history. And so it shouldn't be something that they feel utterly helpless about. And number four, that is a matter of life and death. It's so serious. It's not a casual thing. It's something that touches on life and death. Blessings of curse. God's abundant forgiveness and demand made right here. I come from a country which has two languages. Uh, one is called official, the other one is called national. The one I'm speaking currently, I don't know whether it is English or something <laughs> close to English, but the one I'm speaking right now, there's another one called Kiswahili. Uh, my friend Mark, wherever he is, uh, is a good speaker of this uh, language. And there could be others who have had a feel of Kiswahili. And each and every one of us has a third language called mother tongue. So I speak three languages. One of them, which is Kiswahili, is my second language, has an idiom. That idiom is Kurudisham Kono. Kurudisham Kono. Kurudisham Kono literally means it's payback time. It's like saying, I gave you a favor. It's your turn. That feels like the mood of Moses here in this passage. I've been so good to you. We were in the desert walking. And for 40 years, I fed you. We were out there in the desert with your grandparents. And some of you were born already. And we met tribes that came to finish you up. But I was there for you. I never faltered in my promises. 
I gave you favors. Shall you pay back? See, friends, this, this is where we, we go wrong a number of times. We forget very easily what God has done, the recent story. God has done so much. Do we remember? Do we recall? Would this be a reason to even consider obedience as something that we should be pursuing? God is asking us in this passage, do we remember our recent history? My wife reminds me of a very interesting experience which she had in a theology class in a university in uh, Europe. The professor was talking about the act of God in the country's uh, recent history. And a student grabbing the opportunity literally shot up and said, it is not God. We work hard. This is precisely is the spirit this book addresses. It takes away locus on us on human glory and it places it precisely where it belongs. You see, without this book in the canon, we would only see the human players and forget about the hand of God. For instance, the biblical scholars do tell us that this book was lost for a time during the Tamaltes years of the monarchy, and that it was only discovered during the reign of King Josiah. When the king read the book, he was horrified by two things. Number one, that Moses indeed ordered that this book be read aloud to all the people every seventh year of the Feast of Tabernacle, and that this had not happened since the time of Moses to the time of the reforms of King Josiah. And number two, that although the nation had believed that God had installed kings within the Davidic line, they had forgotten all that time 
that the success of that king and whoever king would come depended on whether they would obey God or not. The guarantee of success in the service of the nation was not just given on the basis of the fact that they are kings in the line of David, but the guarantee was given on the basis of obedience. I want to very quickly draw some outstanding lessons here from the text that we have looked at. And only just a little bit about the, the New Testament reading we had this morning. The first thing here from this passage is the fact that we are all fitted with access and capacity to obey God, all of us. None of us is with a little bit of excuse. Matters of obedience and disobedience, the choice that is put before us, choosing life or cho choosing death, happiness in the new land or being dragged away into captivity and, 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 so, forth, and so on and so forth. Either side, it's a very serious matter. But the scripture appears to be telling us and in a very emphatic way that we are all fitted with access and capacity to obey God. That if you want, if I want, if we want, we can live lives of obedience to God. After all, yes, given us his Holy Spirit who helps us and who gives us the strength to be able to live a life of obedience. It is not something that is out of reach. It is something that is within reach. We can reach out and feel the joy and uh, the greatness of walking before God in obedience. And number two, when we obey, we find life. When we obey, we find life. It's interesting, one of the experiences of Moses up the mountain Moses goes up. He has had a, a very difficult time with the people. And so he says, I'm going to consult. And he asks the people to come with him. And people say, no, we, we won't come. Because we know if we come, we're going to die. 
The people feared because they knew they were in disobedience. They knew they were in a place where meeting God would mean something disastrous going on. The people knew that only in the context of obedience were they going to be very able and very confident to reach God. When we obey, we find it easy to interact and to engage with God. We find it easy to fellowship and to stay in a life of connectedness with God. When we live in disobedience, we live the opposite of the things that I have just said. And so when we obey, we find life. And friends, there's no greater thing than a life that is lived in fellowship with God and in the very presence of God. A life that is transparent, affirming, a life that does not accuse, a life that knows that the origin and the end of all there is is none other than God himself and it is only to him that we need to return with joy and honor. And number three, which I appear to be seeing in this passage, is that our reaction to the call to obedience must be urgent. This is not something that you want to postpone, as I said earlier. It comes with a moment, otherwise called kairos. It's not something that you want to put off when you hear God's message, when you hear God's invitation and God's call. It is not something that we put off and wait to happen tomorrow. It is something that we need to do today. I do not know what God is calling you to, to do today. What God is calling you to be like in the days ahead. But whatever it is, it is important that we hearken and that we do so urgently. And finally, let us be reformers in the context in which we are. You see, the book of Deuteronomy is all about reforms. The New Testament book that has been read to us is part of Jesus' sermon on the mountain. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the context of the kingdom that is 
getting established. They have been observing the world and everything about it in a certain direction. Now there's a new turn of events. Similarly, this text we are talking about the new people, the young people. The older generation have passed. Moses has an opportunity to read the word and to address these young people over again. He has opportunity to be able to share with them the word and for them to be able to get themselves in a new relationship and in a new domain. It's a message given in the context of the newness of the people that have been addressed here. And every generation needs this sort of thing. Whether old generation, young generation, have an opportunity to be able to rethink and rehear re the world. But there is always the question, who will share this word? Who will take it? Who will say, I am ready to go? Who will say, I am fitted, I have what it takes to be able to jump in and move on to the, the next generation? You see, Moses here is a grand old man. He and probably one or two other people are the only people who have survived the 40 years meandering in the desert. But they still feel that the message they have is relevant to the generation that they are going to speak to, that they are go I mean that he is speaking to. He does not have that intimidation that I am unable to express these things because this generation is probably not likely to hear or likely to walk with me along the way. We do not need to be timid. We do not need to be, you know, afraid of the generation that is coming. Moses was not. He saw himself as a reformer, fairly old, but found himself still doing the things that would have been done by people other generations. So let us determine, let us determine, friends, let us determine to be relevant to the generations that are below us, so that we don't pass and leave behind a generation that does not know 
God. It's your opportunity. It's my opportunity. It was Moses' opportunity to read the law again to the new people, to the young people, to the generation that was going to remain. Friends, as I conclude, the message of obedience to God is getting harder to preach by the day. The society in which you and I live says it is all right to do as you please. But there is a God in heaven, God who demands our loyalty and demands our obedience. There is a God in heaven who calls us to a life of dedicatedness with him. There is a God in heaven to whom one day we must give account. Would we consider life in full obedience to this God who promises blessings, his own personal presence, and a journey with him in life? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.